continue in Mark this morning. So if you have your Bibles and like to turn there, we're in Mark. We'll be in chapter 4. <laughs> I'm very excited to share with you today. I love the Gospels because you actually get Jesus, not that it isn't all the Word of God, it is, but you actually get Jesus speaking and teaching to to us. It's it's God himself using language to talk to us. And we get that this morning as Jesus continues to teach. And he's talking in parables. And we started this last time because they're almost meant to be misunderstood. Yeah, I know. Me too. That's because it's almost mind-blowing, our, our inability to make life about something other than ourselves. You, you, you can't just take good advice and make your life better, and we so want to do that with the Bible. And so here comes Jesus, and he just breaks it open for us. Now, we're going to talk today about fear. Fear. And, and it's not in the text. So I just, the problem is it's in us. And if you're here and your family with us, I, I just know, I know so many of you, I know myself, I know that fear overtakes our lives. It really does. We get afraid of so many things. It motivates a ton of our behavior. We fear of lack, like we're not going to have enough, fear of suffering and pain, fear of not measuring up, fear of rejection. And it becomes that guilt as we see ourselves the way we are. And it's almost like if you're running the, 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 I used to run the mile. You wouldn't know it, but I used to run it and you'd get the footsteps behind you, you know, you'd hear them. You just knew they were coming. You knew they were going to pass you. It's almost self-fulfilling because then they did. And fear can overtake you. And in here comes Jesus. And he's addressing today, I believe, fear. The fear that we bring into life. The fear that we look at life through. And, And he does that. He rips it apart for those that would hear him. You are forgiven. You are pure in him. So today, three main areas that are going to be addressed by Jesus. The first is this. For those of us who are beginning to hold fast to the gospel, the fear becomes that we're missing the full message. Missing the message of God, that the gospel really isn't enough. All this talk, I wonder if it's really it. And so I get afraid that I'm missing. It leads to consequences in my life. And the second is the fear that we're not doing enough for God. Don't you have that niggle? Have I really done what I'm supposed to do? Have I done enough? Because if I'm not doing enough for God, am I really His? That's a, that's a fear, right? That's self-focus. And then the third thing is fear that, you know what? Life really is hard. Circumstances really are hard. Doesn't that mean something about my choices and what I'm doing or not doing? Shouldn't I be afraid? Because honestly, suffering is because of me, and, and if I've, I've done it, then I fear I can't find a way out. God doesn't really have me. So all of those things, our Savior comes, and he speaks to us. You can let him go. You can live in freedom. Jesus says, not everyone will hear it. Maybe you won't hear it, but I'm here to proclaim to you this message from Jesus. Fear and, and the kingdom of God. 
Okay, so first, first fear is that we might be missing the message. And, and, and so look with me. It's in Mark chapter 4. We'll pick it up in verse 21. And Jesus continues. He's just given the parable of the sower and the seed and the soils and given them the interpretation. And then he says this in verse 21. And Jesus said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Okay, I'm going to be frank. No, my name is Dax, not Frank. (laughs) But one of the ways preachers make you and me afraid is that they miss the message, and so they take a saying like this and they make it, hey, if you've got any hidden sin... It's going to come to light. You will be found out. Tremble with fear. Jesus came to expose you. Slug. But what this is about is way cooler than that. It's it's way amazing. It's not about you, is it? It's about Jesus. Look at these through lenses that say it's about Jesus, right? Because we've just come off. Jesus is the seed. He's the word sown. He's come to bring life and life amazing. But he goes into the ground. Isn't he hidden and you don't see it? It's not seemingly anything, but then poof, (laughs) abundant life. And so Jesus makes this statement. It's about him. He seems like nothing. But he is life, and it will be seen. The lamp of God is the good news of sowing the word, who's the all-sufficient cause of the kingdom. What's the cause of the kingdom of God? Jesus Christ come to earth, the word. You say, okay, okay, that's great. He goes in, he doesn't seem like anything. But unless that lamp, the light, who is Christ, is put on a, a lampstand... Right, This relentlessly, upside-down, paradoxical interpretation of the kingdom. If you're going to try and cover it up with Jesus is picking the good people, then you're, you're not actually looking at what Jesus is. If you think Jesus is, is measuring the people, that, that's putting it under a box and under... No, 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 this is an amazing thing. The Word of God alone. Jesus healed the leper. Not Jesus came to to sort of measure their work. Our faith is an upside-down, seemingly nothing thing. Other people are strong and wise and rich and successful. Those aren't the settings that Jesus shines through, right? Like he's evaluating us and seeing who worthy is. No, the lampstand is the focus. Look, it's Jesus himself. He's your hope, you know. He takes the unworthy and he brings life. He takes the least and the little and the lost and and, and he gives them life. You don't see it, not right away, but it will be made manifest. The secret is Jesus for you and for me. Do you have ears, Jesus says? Hear that. And not only that, pay attention here. Verse 24, he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And still more will be added to you. 
For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. I know how I want to hear that. I want to get afraid. Sounds like you get what you give, or if you do good, God will be good. And, and then there you're off, evaluating yourself again, and you're driven by fear. Give more, get more. And, and so you give, and then you wait. Well, I don't... I, I, you know what creeps in? Yeah, I'm giving enough. Give more. You love a little, then you wait. I'm going to get loved because I, I loved. I, I didn't get to try more, try more because because I'm waiting for God to give it back to me because I'm investing in order to give it back to me. And I think of God like an investment bank or something. If I if I give 10 percent, then I'll get 12 percent back or 200 percent back, maybe because He's going to shake it up and then pour it out on me. So I'm driven by am I? And then when I don't get it, seemingly I start to get oh. Maybe I'm not actually doing it enough. It's not the message. That That's not what this means. Pay attention. Where your hope is, Jesus says, that's where your evaluation is. Where your hope is, that's where your evaluation is. If you see the wonder of Jesus alone, then life begins to make sense. You begin to have peace. You begin to see things through the lens of this incredible Savior who loves you and is for you. And if you don't, even what you have begins to fade away. Because if you see God as an accountant, you start to be an accountant too. You start to make the message about measuring people. You start to make life about how well you're doing. It says, if that's the measure you're going to use is how well you're doing and how well, then, then that's the measure that you're going to focus on and you're going to become and it's going to invade your life. And the further you go down that path with that being the measure, you'll be further away from the actual path over there. The real path. Even what you have is taken away from you, you see. What did you have? I had the real truth that Jesus Christ is everything. He proclaims to you today that you're forgiven. Really forgiven and it worked. And if that's where you are and you say that's where I am and you dwell there, that's the measure by which you live. Things start to be connected to that. You know, I, I might start forgiving just because that's so important to me and I'm forgiven. You start seeing people not through the lens of what they've accomplished and how far they are, whether God's going to bless them because you know what? He won't bless them. They've done too many bad things. And, 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 and you get away from that and you start saying, wow, my God is a blesser. He loves people. And you start rejoicing for them instead of judging them. Do you see how that goes? Jesus is actually saying that. He's saying, hey, pay attention. This is the, the central core message you're going to live out of is a path. That's the line you're going to walk down, and that central tenet will have ramifications that echo through your life. And he's saying that, and Jesus has already said, and we've heard, I hope you've heard, that he said, he is your life. Period. You are not your life. Your soil, you want to take from the last parable, receive me, says Jesus. If you use any other measure than the understanding that Jesus forgave you and it worked, you're going to end up on a road far from forgiveness and peace. 
It's a tiny bit like we heard in the story, even Mary and Martha, you know there that story, right? Mary's busy and working because that's the measure she used. And she comes to Jesus and she says, how come you won't make my sister work harder? She's going down that line, right? And Jesus says, well, Martha picked the best piece. Because Martha was sitting at Jesus' feet and around him. What's your measure? If it is that Jesus has me, there's peace in that. And I invite you to peace. Now, perhaps you say, well, that's lovely to say that the gospel is the center of Christianity. We all get that. We have ears, and so we're going to focus on the gospel. He said, but I don't really understand how that works. And so Jesus gives these back-to-back parables to push in some more. Because, because I'll tell you, look, the, the competition between holding fast to Jesus is you. It's ourselves. That's always our problem. And the fear that we get to have in this competition is we aren't doing enough to hold up our end of the bargain. Whatever bargain we think that there's been made. So the fear that comes in is we're not doing enough. So look at how Jesus addresses that. Look what he says. And he said, this is Jesus speaking, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He he knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Okay. Look like, what? Back it up. Walk it through. Think what Jesus is saying. Right? The first, just as a note, the kingdom Jesus proclaims, and he starts to talk about this kingdom, is at hand. It's planted here. Too often when we say kingdom, we think, well, heaven someday will be, will be great and glorious. And we think of, of a place that God is that's far away. But, but I'll tell you what, the earth is very much God's playground. It's God's. It's like his backyard. And when he talks about the kingdom of God, he's putting stuff down here. He's connecting it. And by his death and resurrection, the word is sown. None other by God himself incarnate. That's Jesus. And and when Jesus died and, and, and he rose again in Jerusalem in the first century, he reconciles everything to himself, right? He wins the battle for us. And then at the end, when he makes all things new, he makes not just a new heaven, but also a new earth, right? Some glorified recreation of nothing less than what was his old stomping ground. There's an earthiness to what's going on with the kingdom of God. And so it's now, it's not like something else is happening. Someday, somewhere, there will be a kingdom. It's the kingdom has started with the arrival of Jesus. And he's describing what is going on, what's happening. And he does it through this. This kingdom itself is this very thing that's sown. And in the rest of the parable, this parable, Jesus drives home for you and me with with great clarity the absolute sovereignty of that kingdom. Oh, that's a big word, sovereignty, Dax. What do you mean? I mean God does it, not you. We've been, I don't know if it's the old St. Francis of Assisi quote or something, but there's something where people think, well, God has no hands on earth but yours. 
And with that comes this push that if you don't get some stuff done, God's going to be really disappointed. This is the word of Jesus. He ignores the responses of human beings in this parable. He just depicts it, right? Once the man in the parable has sown the seed, he he does nothing more than mind his own business, not the seed's business even. He goes to bed at night, he gets up in the morning. He shops at the supermarket, he unclogs the sink, he cooks a meal, he does the dishes, he watches his favorite TV show, I don't know. He goes to bed again. Then he does it. He's living life. And and after all, as day after day the man lives, Jesus presents, the kingdom is growing. In a way, he simply knows nothing about. And then comes one of those most startling statements in Scripture. It's, it says, of itself, the earth bears fruit. The earth, all of it sort of good, bad, or indifferent, and here it is. You put the kingdom into the world, any kind of world, and in here it's not just hot shot responders, not spiritual pros, but into a world of sinners, of deadbeats, of other poor excuses for humanity, which, by the way, is all there is anyway. And it comes up with a perfect kingdom all by itself. That's the parable. First the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. It takes the time about it to be sure, but the time it takes is its own time, not anyone else's. There's not a breath about crop failure or any more about the, I don't know, whatever the devil might do or the knuckle-headed people that don't respond well. Just, hey, God's got it. And he sows the kingdom, and it's going to do what it's supposed to do. You see where the power is, right? It's in the sea. Why would you be afraid? Well, I haven't done enough. Well, it's not about your doing. It's not about you at all. It's about the doing of the seed, the doing of Jesus. There's no fear in that. It's just a reality of what's going to happen. It doesn't look like it's going to happen. Maybe it might get hidden, but I'll tell you what, it's going on. Do you trust it? And he said, what what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? How should I describe this kingdom of God, Jesus says? It is like the grain of a mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Many such parables he spoke to them. Such as they were able to hear it. He didn't speak to them without a parable. Privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. Well, think about that one, though. Think about that parable. This mustard seed. Everyone's heard the parable of the mustard seed. Little tiny seed, and then we argue because, well, it's not really the smallest seed you can find in the whole world, but Jesus said it's small. It's a parable. Don't get lost. Right? He says, look, look, do you understand this little tiny seed? gets huge. The issue is the working of the kingdom of God. Our kingdom, because we're in his kingdom. So in this particular, it's successful working, right? The, the, the seed grows up into something bigger than all the vegetables. That's what Matthew says. 
It puts forth these big branches, Mark says. And it becomes, even Luke describes it when Jesus gives the same parable there, like a tree. So immediately, you get all these interpretations where people kind of go, well, well, that's bad. Because that's overgrowth, and the kingdom's going to get overgrown, and there's people in the kingdom that really shouldn't be in the kingdom, and it's all... This is a good thing that Jesus is doing here. He's saying, do you realize that the kingdom of God looks like something tiny and insignificant, like just Jesus died for you? That's like nothing in my world. I still got to brush my teeth. I got to live life. I got to raise my kids. I got to find food. I got to build my life. Everything's going on and I got to do all these things. And you got this little tiny truth. Jesus died for me and it goes into my life. Do you know what it's going to make? It's going to grow massive. And the kingdom's going to grow massive. The kingdom, it's, and, and he says, doesn't he? He says, when it's sown, it becomes larger than all the garden plants. It puts out large branches. The birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Again, you go through and commentators say, well, birds are usually negative in the Bible, so saying that there's going to... No, 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 no. It's just this figure of how shady and big, this little tiny seed that's hyper, hyperbolically the tiniest seed ever, and then hyperbolically the greatest shade plant you've ever seen. What's being emphasized? The growth. How does that help my fear? I'm afraid if I don't do the wrong things, I'm not going to grow. And yet the Bible says it just happens. Why does it happen? The sovereignty of God. This marvelous discrepancy between the hiddenness of the kingdom at its sowing and the lush exuberance and its final totally successful fruition. So you want me to tell you the end of the story, Jesus seems to be saying here. I mean, doesn't he? He says, well, here it is. Without a word about evil, without a word about your effort, without a word about you, I'm telling you the kingdom is working. God does it. It doesn't look like much, but this trust, if you'll see it's not you, you can let go of your fear. And thus this parable piece, right? He's telling these parables. These parables sound otherworldly, but they proclaim the kingdom of God is on earth. It is here, and God is at work, and it is not your work. You don't have to worry about the kingdom progressing. The seed will grow. And the kingdom is marvelous and hidden and sown small, but will be vast and big and wondrous. And yours who will hear this, Jesus, do you hear? Trust Jesus, the sown seed. Jesus will produce what he desires in you for him forever. The focus is not ever on what you are accomplishing for him. Stop with the navel-gazing already. Drop the fear. Look what you have. It's hard to believe because, well, honestly, first, I I don't really believe it. it. It sounds too much like let go, let God. And the reality is, even though I say these things to you, I fear all the time. It's not working, Dax. So this is helpful to me that Mark puts this in right here. Because I, I, I cannot be but 
impacted by all that's going on around me and how poorly I respond to, to the, the real life that's happening. And then I say, and I stand up here on Sunday mornings and say, trust Jesus and he's done it all and he forgives you and it works and all those things. And then every single one of us goes back out there and we interpret everything by what's going on. Is my marriage hard or is my job okay or what's happening? And, and I start to, I start to evaluate how happy God is with me based on my circumstances all the time. Man, I fear is my life's pretty tough. And doesn't that mean I'm not doing things quite right? So look what happens on that day. That same day Jesus is giving these parables to them. Now look what happens. That same day when evening had come, Jesus said to them, let's go across to the other side. So leaving the crowd, they took... Jesus with them in the boat, just as he was, and the other boats were with him. And and the great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat. So the boat was filling already. Okay, stop with me. Hear these nice words about the kingdom. I mean, like, okay, fine, I guess I get it. But now this is real life. This scene where the circumstances are overwhelming and bad and, and there's not too many worse things, I don't know if you've ever been in one, than being in a boat in the middle of an ocean with huge storms raging. I get seasick if it just is, you know, anything more than a one-foot swell. These guys were fishermen and they're going, we're going down. Right? It's raging and then here's Jesus, but he was in the stern, verse 38, asleep on the cushion. I love that Mark puts in he was on the cushion. He wasn't just sleeping on the bare wood. He was hanging out on the cushion. (laughs) And they woke him up. They said to him, teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? We're drowning here. Don't you care? This is a big deal, right? Because, Because that's the tie we make to. I've got cancer, Lord. Don't you care? I have prayed and prayed and prayed. How come you're not healing me? I lost my job. Don't you care? My kids hate me. My marriage is failing. My debts are growing. Don't you care? And it's all well and good to talk about gospel first and to talk about Jesus loves me and not anything I have to do. Or, But I'll tell you what, it seems to me like that's demonstrably false because my life don't look like no great kingdom of heaven. We're dying. Don't you care that we are perishing? So Jesus, verse 39, he awoke and he rebuked the wind and he said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Okay, well, I don't know how helpful that actually is, you know, because in my thinking, as you start thinking through how this is being presented, that means that Jesus was able to stop the storm whenever he wanted, but he chose to sleep instead. Right? He had the power. The power was there. It wasn't a power issue. Jesus was able. He didn't. And so what is he saying to them? Why is, why, what's going on? And so listen, verse 40. He said to them, look, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? They were filled with great fear, and they said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? 
<laughs> and have a different kind of fear. Why are you still afraid? Don't you trust? That's the point, right? Have you learned that you can trust me? The answer for you and me is no, no, we haven't. The answer for them was no, no, they hadn't. Jesus, who the wind and the sea obey, who the earth is his backyard, and the circumstances, they are not as they appear, right? The fear that we have is that no one has us, that we must have ourselves, and then that gets cracked because life is too much. It's too hard for all of us. Really, we cannot hold it together. If you see somebody who's holding it together, they're lying. It's just not true. And and so these natural disasters, storms, sure, but even daily life, and so we grab hold again. And then with bold hands, we try and control this thing, our lives. We control our kids. We control our resources. We control our relationships. We control everything we can to hold it together and make it work. And we cry out to God with help. Help with what? Our control. Help me control it, Lord. Jesus wakes up. He's been sleeping on the cushion. Wait, why are you afraid? I'm afraid because I have no control. Ah, he said, do you trust me? He's in control. He was in control while he was asleep, right? He's still in control. The seed is planted. You're in me, he would say, right? I've got you, not you've got me. It's not you with your grip control. It's me in my hand and I won't let you go. That's life. Say, no, 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 wait. But, but my child's marriage is totally broken and he's Suffering. No, 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 Lord, but my own life is tossed to and fro and isn't at all what I thought it would be. You know what Jesus says? He says, peace. I have you. If you want to see Jesus as an example, see this. He's sleeping in the storm. He's not worried that they're going the wrong way or that they have the wrong tack or they're all prepared for the storm. He is sleeping. And if you see that that's impossible because you're not Jesus, and that's where we all are, that you and I do have worries and fears, then, then, then know this. Hear it today. He's got you all the way through. You trust in his sleeping as much as his waking up to give you and the disciples and me all an object lesson that he has it. He has you. And you know what the ultimate lack of control is? You know this. I know you do, but I'll just lay it out there for you. The ultimate lack of control is death. You've got no control. I was laughing. I don't know if you guys see. I follow medical stuff, so whatever. But but there's this article that they put out in Britain this week. Did you see it? Omega-3, fish oil. Take it to make sure you don't like get Alzheimer's or anything. They've totally said, ah, it doesn't do anything. It is a $4 billion a year industry. Everybody's buying. Why are they buying it? Well, for my heart, but that's already been kind of thrown aside. For your head, to make sure I'm protected with fish oil. Now, like, ah, just eat some salmon. But the supplements aren't helping anyone. You're wasting your money. Why are we wasting all that money? There's got to be something I can do. 
control. <laughs> it's amazing. Everybody does it. And then, and then everybody I've ever met, and then not everybody I've met has done it yet, but I haven't, I don't know anyone that hasn't eventually died. Sorry. I know Jesus will come back. I know. I know it might not happen to us. Jesus could come back today. I believe that with all my heart. But if he doesn't, we're dying. What is that? It's a lack of control. I don't even get to, to decide when it is. It could happen in the next minute. I was running last night. And boy, I was <laughs> running is a term that kind of makes no sense to me right now. <laughs> I was waddling last night. <laughs> and about three miles in, I'm going, Jesus, now would be a good time. <laughs> so I'd like to go back home to my family. But if this is the time, I'm okay. I'm okay with that. <laughs> It means I wouldn't have to finish. <laughs> we don't know. It could have been there. People die when they're running. Ah, you know, it happens. We don't know. Why is that hard? Because it's, there's no control. So what does it take? Trust. What is Jesus saying? Trust me. Not just with death. That's the final thing. That's the most amazing thing. By the way, we read it this morning, right? He said of his friend Lazarus, he came and, and they can't admit, Jesus, you could raise him if you want to. Yeah, okay. He's my friend. Rise. What did Lazarus do? got up from the dead. We've got a God who has that kind of power. We kind of start thinking, how can I manipulate him to use that power on my behalf? And Jesus instead says, I've got you. The power is going. You are part of the kingdom. It's going to be something you can't even imagine. You're going to be like Jesus. It's going to be fantastic. And it's at work now as you live your daily life. It's all about him, not about you. Will you trust him? You know what the answer is? No. Lord, I have such trouble trusting you. And then I say to you, welcome to the group. We have trouble trusting him. That's why we gather together today. That's why we hear again from the word of God that we have this savior who says, if you'll trust him, he's, he's the seed. If you'll live your life with this center, if you'll hold on to this core and we remind each other together, we're forgiven. We're cleansed. Because of what Jesus has done. And out of that's going to come all the things we get to do. <laughs> we get to be together. We get to forgive each other. We get to live life. But those aren't the main things, right? That's not the measure we're using. The measure we're using is, I've been forgiven. And we're helping each other trust this, this Savior. You're part of something so enormously amazing. Jesus has you. He has the power. He has the strength. He won't let you go. This is very key. He has you in life. He has you in death. You don't have to fear you're missing the message. You don't have to fear you're not doing enough. The simple message is Jesus is life. Peace. In his hands. In his finished work. The word of the Lord for you and me. Let's pray.